Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast all things ocean. I'm your host, Jill. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Water Women Podcast. I am joined today by Annabelle, and Annabelle studies sharks and rays and is also a host of a super cool podcast. I'm so excited to be joined by Annabelle today. They are so cool. I have followed them on Twitter for such a long time. And when I reached out and was like, hey, I think what you do is so cool. I think you're absolutely hilarious. I was pumped when they responded and said that they would love to be on the podcast. So today, Annabelle and I are going to be talking all about their work with sharks and rays and how they track them and why it's so important. And we're also going to dive into their podcast, which is the LGBTQ plus STEMcast. Such a great podcast, guys. If you have not checked it out yet, I highly, highly recommend it. I've learned so much and heard so many cool stories. I truly cannot recommend their podcast enough. But before I talk way too much about them before we even get started, let's just jump in. I would love for you to start out and introduce yourself with your name and what pronouns you use. Yeah, my name is Annabelle Gong and my pronouns are they, them. Perfect. I am absolutely so excited to have you on the podcast today. Like I said, I followed you on Twitter for so long. And first and foremost, you're absolutely hilarious. That's my, oh my God, favorite part. <laughs> but also, like, the work you do is so, so interesting. So what kind of made you fall in love with the ocean? Like, what drew you to it? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm a Cali girl from California, Bay Area native, um, and my family and I would, I think one of my earliest memories is actually going to the Monterey Bay Aquarium. There's uh, this picture of me and the little clam. Um, I need to go back and recreate that that picture. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. but yeah, it started off with that. I loved sea otters when I was little, um, and I loved turtles when I was little. I know it's just like so cliche of me to be like an, a turtle kid and a, an otter kid, and now I'm like a shark kid. I, I never had a dolphin face, though. I will say that. Never had a dolphin face. Um, that all, that but... all went to me. That whale, that's me. So like, we're just two big cliches here together. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that kind of, I think that's, I didn't realize it, but I think that's kind of what drew me into this marine science um, field. I also am, my mom is from Malaysia, so we would go there a lot, um, do some snorkeling in in those areas, um, check out the coral reefs, stuff like that. Um, So I grew up around water quite a bit, I think, and around nature quite a bit, thankfully for me. Um, Yeah. Yeah, the Bay Area has a lot of places to explore and my family's big on traveling so that really got me into nature and eventually into where I am now yeah yeah so what are you doing now what's like a kind of brief like two sentence who like what I'm doing yeah so currently I am a master student going into my second year second year (laughs) doesn't feel like it because I've been in my house like all the time uh, since COVID started so Um, I go to the University of San Diego, which is where I also did my undergrad. University of San Diego is different from UCSD. Um, We are the smaller Catholic college, but we still do a lot of things with uh, the UC. Um, And I study the migration behavior of um, 
the Shovelnose Guitarfish and the California Bat Ray along the Southern California coast. So I'm looking at where they're going, um, different parts of the year, and why they're going those uh, to those places. So in your undergrad, did you have anything, like any projects that really kind of were like, yeah, marine science is it for me? Like what projects were you working on in your undergrad? So a lot of the, one of the greatest things about USD is that we are a really small school and um, we are very focused on undergrad research. So from very early on in my undergrad career, I guess you could say, I was exposed to research projects and field work, like right off the bat. We were doing so many different projects. Um, we, the first project that I did was in a class for our research methods um, course where we looked at the invasive Asian mussel, which is in, uh, which is pretty prevalently invasive globally, but we looked specifically in a bay in San Diego and we got to go on the boat and like take samples, sediment samples, we got to take uh, uh, muscle samples, stuff like that. And um, I eventually turned part of the classwork that I did into an independent research project looking at the oh, cool. uh, burrowing behavior and the spatial distribution of this muscle in this bay and trying to figure out like why that is. Um, and so um, that was kind of the first research project that I worked on um, independently. And then what really kind of solidified my uh, my love for research, I guess, was I got I had this opportunity to work with my now master's advisor, Andy Nosel, and he was working on a um, project looking at leopard shark movement behavior. So leopard sharks come to San Diego every year in the summertime and they just group together in this really tiny cove um, and they just like swim around and everyone's like why do they do that and um we think it's because the water is a lot warmer there and these leopard sharks are have just um come from mating and are incubating their eggs essentially in in this uh warm shallow cove and so we were flying drones over the uh the water where these leopard sharks were aggregating to see kind of what they were doing and trying to run some analyses and just trying to figure out like what's going on here and why is it happening? So that was the second undergrad research project that I worked on that was just so incredible <laughs> to, to do because it's like, you don't really get a, that kind of perspective off a boat. Like you don't really get yeah. a bird's eye view in any given situation unless you can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And to like to see over actually the episode that came out, last week by the time this one comes out with Gina talked about like drones and how she used drones and it, she was saying about how it gives you this literal like view that you will never get anywhere else and it's so cool yeah it's absolutely incredible I also think it's so cool that within your undergrad you got to do these two huge projects because those are amazing and I've, I've said it a hundred times, like to get in there and like get your hands dirty is really what I find solidifies like the love of like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And oh, yeah. There's, there's computer people, but <laughs> they can handle that. Yeah. And it was really nice because San Diego is so, uh, so accessible to the beach. Like we would go to lab like 10 minutes away, lab in, in the field, basically <laughs> hang out on the beach and do surveys there. Or we 
we would go do camping trips in the desert and look at geological formations and like do research in the desert. Um, and then we would even like go out and do research cruises like off offshore. But yeah, it. I think that was one of the most unique opportunities that I've had um, in my going to a small school has its advantages yeah yes a hundred times yes the school (laughs) I went to was also a small school and it just gives you so much more like there's definitely something to be said about the big schools but going to a small school you get these opportunities and you get to know your profs on almost a personal level and you yeah go ask them like questions like there was a one of my professors I sat in her office for like three hours just picking her brain about things yeah definitely I feel like I made so many really meaningful connections not just in my department but like outside of my department too and like the English department ethnic studies department just because like these professors were so accessible and they wanted to like help you and just like wanted to learn about you it was just it's so awesome yeah I love that (laughs) so now you're doing your master's there which is so fun I love doing your master's at the same place it gives you like an inside look and it just takes a lot of the stress away doing oh yeah (laughs) and uh, that being said I'm sure there is still tons of stress yeah it's uh (laughs) it's really something (laughs) uh remote work is is definitely hard um because you know a lot the work that I do now um for my master's is um all coding and um looking at data sets that I didn't really have the chance to participate in the field work because the data sets were from like 2014. So I would have been like high school. Um, (laughs) So it's, it's been really interesting just working from home. It doesn't really feel like I'm like doing research. I feel like once I get back to San Diego, maybe it'll be different, but yeah. Absolutely. I totally get that. Like you're sitting at home, like just staring at these like screens just full of numbers and you're like, what am I doing? What (laughs) animals am I looking at? Like what is happening here? Yeah. They're all numbers to me. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Literally same. All mine are just shapes. And I'm like, ah, yes, this is exactly what I wanted for my master's. (laughs) Exactly what I signed up for. Oh yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your master's topic and how did you pick this project like what was it that you were like ah yeah this is this is it yeah so that's actually a pretty funny story because as I mentioned before I had this whole drone project going with uh with Andy Nozel who is now my master's advisor and that was actually supposed to be my master's project um we have an accelerated program yeah we have an accelerated program at USD um that allows you to continue an undergrad project that you started um and get your master's in a condensed amount of time compared to like a regular master's track at USD. Um, So I was set to do this whole drone project. I was going to expand on it. And, um, you know, I had started the field work for it in August of 2020 um, in September. And my drone decided to just lower itself into the ocean and die. And so it's like one of those things that's like not funny, but also you're just like, what else is there to do but laugh? Yeah, literally, I I, cry. Yeah, I couldn't choose what feeling I was feeling at that moment because it was just so comical that, but I was like, oh my god, this is like the next year or so of my (laughs) life. 
just deciding to lower itself into the ocean. It literally lowered itself into the ocean. I can't describe it in any other way. I had no control over what it was doing. <laughs> it just said, no, thanks. Goodbye. Literally, literally, that's what it did. Um, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and we tried everything uh, to save, we tried everything basically to save it. We, the lab tech bought like a huge 20 pound bag of rice and we just like poured it over the drone, <laughs> stuck it away for like a week. And yeah, it did not decide to be alive again. Um, but luckily, rice didn't fix everything. Right. Right. Like, Ridiculous. <laughs> but luckily, um, luckily my advisor already had a backup data set for me, which was this huge data set of these guitar fish and, um, that race nice. because we already knew going in that this was going to be a really complicated project because there were a lot of like novel techniques that we had to do we weren't really sure what to do so we were like okay we'll just keep this aside just in case something goes wrong and it wasn't the something that we were expecting that went wrong <laughs> but <laughs> but something went wrong but something went wrong so um yeah i don't think i particularly chose this project by like the way that people choose research projects like they think of it and they're like I'm gonna plan this all myself I was just kind of given stuff to work with and worked around it I guess you could say I'm still just picturing the don't the drone just like sinking and I'm just yeah it was really heartbreaking to watch and (laughs) I had actually brought are one of the newest grad students in my cohort. She was like new. I it's the first time I met her. I was like trying to like show off how cool I was because I was like I have this drone. I have a drone license and <laughs> and we were just like talking and then this whole thing happened and I was like <laughs> and she was like oh my god is everything I know, okay yes, like, and I was like that's yeah, not it's how fine. it's supposed to go <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, everything's fine. That's exactly what was supposed to happen. Yeah. I definitely did not. <laughs> Maybe you could just like look the other way real quick. Like, yeah. Oh, that's so. so now hilarious. we have that fond memory to bond over together. <laughs> but you know what? Like, you never know where this project's gonna take you, and like someday you're gonna look look back and be like, if that drone didn't sink, I would not be right where I am. Yeah. Like, yeah. Weird. And. Maybe one day I'll return to it in some capacity. I still like drones, but maybe drones don't like me, so. (laughs) Just a little less now. Yeah, yeah. So what does, like, a day-to-day now, like, what is it that you're looking at for your project? You mentioned, like, looking at, like, migratory of two different species. So why those species, and how are you doing that? Because I feel like that's a very interesting kind of topic. Yeah, so, um, like I said, these individuals were tagged anywhere from like 2014 to 2016. Um, So these animals are tagged with an acoustic tag, which basically sends out um, a certain frequency of, um, of waves into a certain area within their like vicinity. I think it's a pretty small vicinity. Um, Also paired with that are these acoustic receivers, which are underwater along the coastline or wherever people choose to put um, these receivers. They're usually run, uh, controlled by like, or um, maintained by a certain lab or individual or just like a 
research center or something. Um, and these acoustic receivers will detect um, these tags if they're within a certain um, distance of the receiver. So our receivers, for instance, have a 300 meter range. And so if a tagged individual shows up within 300 meters of one of the receivers, um, the receiver will take note of the time and the individual's um, like ID, basically. Cool. And so what I'm doing is I'm taking all of the information from all of the receivers that we have or that our network has, basically, um, in Southern California. And I we pulled out all of our individual's data, and I am just parsing through like hundreds of thousands of detections um and kind of one of the disadvantages of um acoustic tracking is that you don't know the exact location of the individual you only know what the latitude and longitude of this receiver that it was detected at however the advantage is you get hundreds and hundreds of detections and it's really uh, it's less expensive to to track them in yeah. in this acoustic type of way. And you mentioned like it has like a pretty like like three hundred meter range. Like in the grand scheme of things, that's a pretty narrowed down like location. Like you might not know like the exact location, but comparatively, that's pretty cool and pretty pretty close to the exact location. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely really useful if you want to look at like broad sweeping like movements um so like just like looking at for example regions of where they're showing up but for finer scale things like looking at maybe like a habitat selection for example it gets a little bit more complicated okay very interesting that's so cool that you can use that and like the idea of them each having like individual tags and the um receivers being able to like id them based on the tags they have absolutely mind-blowing yeah, it's definitely technology that is, like, beyond my scope of knowledge, for sure. <laughs> Every so often we'll, like, talk about, like, it's such, like, a casual thing for us to talk about. You're like, yeah, this is this. And, like, every like hearing it, I'm like, the fact that people came up with this is genuinely amazing. Right. Like, <laughs> what? How do people's brains work like that? That is so cool. And you mentioned it was two specific species. What species, what species was it? Uh, the shovelnose guitarfish, which are these like sh- flat-looking sharks, they're like um, if, if they're like if a shark and a ray like merged together, basically. <laughs> um, and then the California bat ray. Cool. Two yeah. very like underrated species that you don't hear about super often. So why those species? What was it about them that was like, yeah, these ones are what we need to study. Um. So, yeah, the shovelnose guitarfish in particular um, has a pretty, um, they are considered, I believe, near threatened on the IUCN red list right now, mainly because there is a pretty large, large fisheries um, demand for them in the, like, in Mexico, um, specifically um, in the artisanal fisheries area, which is just basically like, um, people who rely on like fish as their main source of protein um, eat these um, shovelnose guitarfish. So 
you can have like many of them decimated at a time basically yeah um the really unique thing about our data set is that most of the tagged individuals that we have are females um and that is for a reason well not like we didn't tag them because they were all females but that was what that was what was caught at the time and that's mainly because of this whole thing like i said with the leopard sharks the female leopard sharks go to this specific place in san diego and aggregate it's kind of the same thing with the shovel nose guitarfish and the bat rays um and so and so these pregnant uh guitarfish and rays are pretty susceptible to getting caught in large masses because they just kind of hang out for like a summer and if people hone in on where they're hanging out for a summer they can just go and like sweep them all up you know (laughs) um so it's really important that we look at you know specifically where these individuals are going whether they're crossing international waters um because we do have uh receivers down in Mexico as well, and see if there's any way that we can um, locate these areas and um, suggest perhaps like policy that may um, protect them, for example, or um, yeah, and the same thing is in the case of the bat ray too, although they are not threatened, there's not a whole lot that we know about their movements. Yet. So, yet. Yeah. yet. <laughs> never. This is true, yeah. <laughs> but so there's just like, you don't know a lot about it, and so it's helping you learn more so you could potentially put this policy in place to prevent them from becoming threatened? Basically, yeah. And it seems cool. like, you know, since, um, since so many sharks kind of, seem to go to the same places this might give us insight into like other other species that are more threatened it's all I think it's all connected that's really cool and i think one of the biggest questions that like i get messages on water women all the time from like people being like hey i have a question about this and i'm like i am not an expert on anything but i will try my best and a lot of it is like why don't like sharks are so cool everyone loves sharks why don't we know a lot about them and i'm like fantastic question it's pretty hard to study an animal that lives its life underwater. So this acoustic telemetry is really, really cool to be able to use that. But like the fact that sharks are this huge animal or like these hugely prevalent animals, like very popular animals. Mm-hmm. And we still know so little about their like migratory patterns and just them in general is like, what? What? Like how? Right? It's incredible how much, how little we know but also how much we think we know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And so for your future plans, do you want to stay studying sharks where there's so much unlearned? Is that kind of your like straight and narrow path right now? Yeah, that's kind of, this is kind of where I am right now, hoping to um, apply for some PhDs this cycle, you know, get get some funding going for myself and hopefully by next year I'll be moving somewhere new who knows I don't know I'm very excited to keep up with that I love it yeah I always like I love asking the question what's next but I also like have been on the other side and hate the question what's next because it's like I don't know please leave me alone a little bit (laughs) yeah yeah now one of the coolest things about you is your little side project here and 
I love this. I love what you're doing, your podcast. Tell us about your podcast. Yeah, so the podcast, that was kind of a pandemic side thing that I picked up after Felix, who is my other half, I guess you could say, in this podcast. He actually was the one who started the podcast. I was just kind of, you know, I feel like a lot of things just kind of like fall into my lap and I'm like, <laughs> okay, like this whole cool. master's project, this podcast, it's it's, it's always been this way. Um <laughs> Yeah, so he had um, actually asked me to interview uh, for the podcast, so basically like I'm doing right now, Um, and we got to talking, you know, and he was talking about this project and how he was doing it by himself, and I was like, I got nothing better to do. If you need any help, like, let me know, because I um, dabble in some audio stuff, and also I... um, actually helped um with this or i helped organize a storytelling event on usd's campus called my story where we you know uh tell stories and try to find connections with each other through the magic of storytelling um (laughs) that actually sounds really cool yeah it's like a ted talk but like more personal i guess more based in 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 like slam poetry ish kind of you know um so so yeah I did a I did a bit of that um for two and a half years um after telling my coming out story at um one of these my story events and so I had been on the storyteller side and also on the storytelling facilitation side basically mentoring people to help them share their stories and so that was something I was really interested in and he was like oh you know you can you can help me by co-hosting and I was like oh okay (laughs) sure I love Um, that yeah so (laughs) thanks Felix for letting me do that um (laughs) and yeah I guess I my approach to this podcast has been kind of to just give platform to LGBTQ plus identifying scientists um our podcast is called LGBTQ stem cast um I like to just let these lgbtq stem professionals from all over the world who i interview i just like to let them you know have fun with the episode talk about things that they haven't talked about before on like a professional level so we've had people talk about their like sports teams that their gay sports teams that they've been a part of um we've had people you know just kind of talk about their experiences in academia or in the industry or you know just like a whole plethora of different things and it's mainly you know to just diversify how we view scientists and their work um especially in terms of representation of identities and so that has been super super fun Um, i've met some really amazing people through that absolutely it's so cool the people that you get to meet and like sometimes it's the people that you were like never expect to hear back from or like it's like your like goal person to have on the podcast and they're like yeah I'd love to and you're like well, what's next like a capital literally <laughs> yes I, I will it. forever brag about this one but we got Darian Nguyen aka Lab Shenanigans on no our way. podcast yes he oh my god he was just so incredible I am absolutely smitten by him <laughs> I love that I- 
So why is it important to you to give these people who are LGBTQ plus identifying a platform? Like, why do you think it's important for people to have these role models to look up to? I think that a lot of the time I look to my younger self or my sister who is eight years younger than me and think, what would younger me or my little sister want to see as their role models growing up? And for me, this project has kind of allowed me to kind of show people what kind of role models I would have wanted to see in growing up, going into STEM. I I don't think I even met an LGBTQ plus identifying scientist until I got into college. Yeah. Um, so this has just made it more accessible for people, I, I hope, to find people who identify similarly to them, who work in the same fields as them, um, just to let them know, you know, that they're not alone, that there are people out there and we have this like incredible community. I love that. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of like breaking the stigma too. Like you might, maybe in your up and coming years, you met someone who was an LGBTQ plus person in STEM, but scientists for a long time and even still now in a way are expected to be these like cold, unobjective robot people. When in reality, we're just people. And so like, it's almost allowing your personality to show through and be like, yeah, I am in the STEM field, but I also identify as LGBTQ. That's like, that's part of who I am rather than just remaining this like cold, like I'm a scientist. I'm first and foremost a scientist, nothing else. So I really like that it's opening up that and like starting these conversations of like, who is a scientist? What makes a scientist? Do they have to be these like, by the numbers, nothing else matters, just science, like white lab coat kind of person, or can it be anyone, which it absolutely can. Yeah, definitely. And we've had people who are artists who like use their art for science. And we've had dancers on our podcast. It's, and we've had like, we've even had like, um, someone who's now pursuing, uh, music full time, um, as a career, which is so awesome. Like, we don't really we use the term scientist very loosely i guess it's like oh yeah if you if you studied science in like undergrad but you're doing something else we would still love to hear like what made that change you know what makes you passionate how does science still influence your work kind of thing you know absolutely and i love that your podcast who are in the LGBTQ plus community, it's also for everyone. Like I listen to that and I am not part of this community. I like, it's still for me. It's still for everyone. Like everyone can listen to it kind of thing. And I love that. Like you're making it accessible. And I've learned so much listening from, to it. Like it just has opened my eyes to these little things that I'm like, Oh, cool. Like never really thought about that. And like learned so much from so many different people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, my dad's a big listener of this podcast, and he's always like, I learned something today. That was really interesting. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I love that. that. What has been your, like, favorite episode so far? Not that you can, like, ever pick a favorite episode, oh my but, like, God. some highlights. Well, definitely that one with Darian. Um, since he's Asian-American and I'm Asian-American and we both really like SciComm, 
it was really just it was a really easy episode to record because we had so much in common that we could just you know go off of each other and really um talk about our identities in a way that like got really in my opinion very deep um so that was probably one of my favorite episodes and i still also um keep my first episode that i recorded very close to me as well that was with a um an astrophysicist named yost who is just incredible there super awesome um and that was like one of the first times i ever like actually paid attention to something that was related to astronomy because i like get really scared of space so i just like tune it out but they made it digestible in a way that i wasn't afraid and then i was like very intrigued so (laughs) yeah i love people that can make it digestible understandable and like in air quotes right now like explain it to me like i'm five kind of thing like it just helps so much and it makes you want to learn about it it makes it so much less intimidating yeah, definitely. And honestly, you guys were the inspiration. So in my second season of Waterman, when I first started that, you guys were the inspiration for me starting to ask people their pronouns and saying, what do you use? Because for the longest time, it's not something I thought about. Like, it was just kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, a pronoun. Yeah, I know a pronoun. And then as I was listening to your podcast, I was like, oh, I should be asking people this. Like, not everyone identifies like I do or they might like and it really opened my eyes and since then I've had so many people be like oh my gosh thank you for asking that like I really appreciate that and it's making I love these strides that are happening that's making like things that were once like never a weird question but like in air quotations like a weird unusual question more normalized and making it more common especially in like professional fields yeah definitely I think that um, we're making some really important strides, especially like big time. I think that this past year has been quite, um, quite a quite a year for those kinds of changes as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like the like little changes that you're noticing that are leading to these bigger changes. Like when I first put my pronouns in my email signature, I didn't think anything of it, and then one day I got an email from someone within my work and was like, "Hey, like." why do you have she, her? Like, obviously I know you're a girl. And I was like, okay, well I identify as a girl, but someone who looks like me may not identify as a girl. Like you don't know. So I'm putting my pronouns here. So you know what I identify as. And also like, it makes it common for someone who may not feel comfortable putting their pronouns in their email signature. If they see that other people are doing it, there you go. They can do it too. Like it's just making things so much more common. Yeah, definitely. I love that. Now, if people want to listen to your podcast, where can they find it on any platform or how can they find it on social media? Yeah, so we have a Twitter and an Instagram um, at LGBTQ STEMcast. That's S-T-E-M-C-A-S-T. And then uh, we also have our podcast directly on anchor.fm slash LGBTQ STEMcast. But you can also find our podcasts on spotify apple podcast a slew of other podcast um sites i believe yeah, the, uh, so the yeah, wherever you, you get your podcasts yeah kind of yes the, the conglomerate of podcasts <laughs> streaming sites <laughs> i love that i like whenever i see like what pod, like what platforms this podcast is on i'm like i did not know you existed but okay cool 
yeah they're just that distributing cool. it everywhere I'm like okay <laughs> didn't know that even existed yeah. but go off <laughs> I love it and if people wanted to follow along with you on any social media is there anywhere that they can find you yeah my twitter um that's where I'm most active at Annabelle Gong just my name um I post mostly stuff about sharks uh sometimes I throw in just a random part of my life um <laughs> in there every now and then what my family is up to usually something ridiculous um, um and then i have my link tree which directs you to my website which has all my like outreach stuff on it um that's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash i think it's a-b-e-l underscore links yeah i'm pretty sure that's right awesome well thank you so much Thank you so much for having me. This was just like a really chill, fun, relaxing conversation. Oh, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I absolutely loved having you on. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Water Women podcast. I love sharing these stories with you and I love that you love to listen. Make sure if you like the podcast, you're leaving a review and liking and subscribing to the podcast. It really helps us out. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Water Women Podcast and on Twitter at Water Women Pod. You can also check out more from us, including quizzes, blog posts, and shop our site at waterwomenpodcast.ca. Thanks again for listening, and until next week, stay salty.